0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Jesus loves metaphors, doesn't he? Perhaps most famously, in John's gospel, Jesus uses an array of metaphors to help us understand his own mysterious identity, the so-called I am sayings. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. He who comes to me will never go hungry. John 6, 35. Then a few chapters later, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 11. And again in that same chapter, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. John 10, 9. Then in the 15th chapter of John, I am the true vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, John 15, 5. And perhaps most memorably, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And Jesus' use of metaphor is not restricted to talking about himself, he does the same thing in describing a wide assortment of other holy topics. Our faith is a mustard seed, Matthew 17, 20. The kingdom of God is yeast, Matthew 13, Or a merchant seeking pearls, Matthew 13, 45. Or a fishnet cast into the sea, Matthew 13, 47. And we human beings, Jesus teaches, are sometimes sheep. Other times wolves, Matthew 7, 15. Sometimes serpents, other times doves, Matthew 10, 16. Jesus, in short, loves to teach in metaphors. Before we get to today's gospel metaphors, when Jesus calls his disciples salt and light, I want to say a few words about what metaphors are and why Jesus may be drawn to them. Now, I'm sure we all remember from English class the definition of a metaphor. It is, according to Mr. Webster, a figure of speech in which a word or phrase literally denoting one kind of object or idea is used in place of another to suggest a likeness or analogy between them. The Latin and Greek roots of the English word metaphor mean to carry over. We try to understand one thing or idea by comparing it to another so as to carry over certain traits or characteristics. The French philosopher of language Paul Ricoeur explains that metaphors have a surplus of meaning. They don't just say one thing that can be put into another word. Instead, they offer a kind of overflow of additional suggestions and nuances. Metaphors are pregnant with possibility. That's a metaphor. The richness of a good metaphor is that our discovery of meaning multiplies the more we use our imaginations to draw comparisons between the two things in question. So why do we use metaphorical language rather than speaking plainly? I can hear my grandmother asking that question. Well, it depends on the nature of the thing we're trying to describe. Simple physical objects can be described literally and directly because they can be seen, touched, measured, weighed, and so on. I don't need a metaphor to describe a brick. When we're talking about complex, intangible things, however, like love, goodness, beauty, and yes, God, literal language is wholly inadequate because such things cannot be seen or touched or measured. Metaphor is well-suited to such ineffable realities. It's no surprise, then, that Jesus loves metaphor. Now, I often wish it were otherwise. The conversation I dream about having with Jesus goes something like this. Luther, Jesus, please tell me what I have to do to be a faithful follower. Jesus, well, Luther, just pray for 20 minutes every morning and night. Be a responsible husband and father, and a kind and helping neighbor. Tithe 10% of your income. Go to church every Sunday. Be a humble, justice seeking citizen. And once a week, volunteer your time at a local shelter, food pantry, or other nonprofit. That's all there is to it. Such clear, tangible direction would be nice, wouldn't it? Instead, though, what does Jesus teach his followers in today's gospel about discipleship? You are salt. You are light. That's very interesting, I want to say to Jesus, but what in the heck am I supposed to do with that information? Maybe, maybe Jesus is saying that discipleship is not really amenable to simple instructions. To follow Jesus is not like following a recipe. Perhaps discipleship is a process, the very dynamic process of struggling to understand Jesus' metaphors, to unpack their nuances and possible meanings, and more than that, to somehow become what Jesus is describing, to live into these words and integrate them slowly but surely in the rough And tumble of life. We had some fun in Bible study on Wednesday trying to unpack salt and light in just these ways. Salt, we noted, adds flavor and seasoning to cooking. Maybe to be a Christian means to enliven and spice up the community in which we find ourselves, to bring joy and delight where otherwise there is blandness. On the other hand, salt is also a preservative. It keeps things from rotting and going bad. Perhaps being a Christian is to try to keep our families and communities and nation states from rotting and going bad to preserve their goodness. Salt is also a disinfectant. It cleans wounds and promotes healing. Perhaps being a Christian is to be a healer of the wounded, a balm, in Gilead, as the old hymn puts it. Now some people in Bible study pointed out that salt can be both underused, in which case it fails to season-preserve or overused, in which case it ruins a good stew and can become a wasteful irritant. Perhaps part of discipleship is also developing the skill to know when, where, and how much of our saltiness is needed in any given circumstance. We neither want to be an in-your-face Christian zealot, nor a passive disengaged Sunday-only Christian. We want to salt things just right. We can, of course, go through this same interpretive exercise with light, and I sort of did that with the kids. Light illuminates, clarifies, and can lead and guide us. Light also brings colors and textures and shapes to life where there was only darkness and nothingness before. On the other hand, lights can also warn us of approaching danger, like a stoplight or a lighthouse. And the lightness of dawn tends to chase away the demons and monsters of our nightmares, all those things we fear. Can our Christian discipleship accomplish some or all of these things or this broken world in which we live? You get the picture. The possibilities of meaning are myriad. So let me give you a homework assignment. Over this coming week, ponder in your own heart what else these metaphors of salt and light may teach about discipleship and how you might become even saltier and more enlightening than you already are. And to get your creative juices flowing, let me make just two more observations about these metaphors. The first is that neither salt nor light draw attention to themselves. When we put salt in a stew, it adds flavor and taste to the meal, yet the salt itself disappears as it does so. It dissolves. Salt is sacrificial. It gives up its own identity for the betterment of the whole. Light is similar. Light itself is invisible. It does its work by illuminating that which it casts its light upon. It doesn't draw attention to itself, but instead brightens everything around it. Light, too, is self-deprecating in this way. What might these qualities teach us about discipleship? The second thing I would observe is that salt is earthy while light is heavenly. It is no accident that when we call someone salt of the earth, We mean to say that he or she is of this world in a frank, simple, and direct way. On the other hand, if you remember your creation story from Genesis, let there be light. Light is very much of God. It is heavenly and eternal in nature. Thus, when someone dies, we ask that light perpetual shine upon their soul as they make their way heavenward. In telling the disciples that they are simultaneously salt and light, I think Jesus is saying that his followers are both of this world and of heaven. We have a foot in both kingdoms. Perhaps the challenge of discipleship is to bring forth the earthly and the heavenly together, into a coherent, whole, and well-led life. St. Irenaeus put it simply in one of my favorite sayings. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Salt and light. Having said all this about the richness of today's text, let me end with a warning about metaphor, to say that Jesus regularly uses metaphor to talk about godly things and that our theological language is likewise often metaphorical, this is emphatically not to say that all the core truths of our faith are mere metaphors. Take resurrection as an example. When we say Jesus was raised from the dead, we mean Jesus alive and at large in the world, not as some shimmering metaphorical ideal of human goodness, but as God's living and breathing self. For as Frederick Buechner once wrote, if the life that was in Jesus died on the cross, if the love that was in Jesus came to an end when his heart stopped beating, if the truth that Jesus spoke was no more or less timeless than the great truths of any time, if all that Jesus had in him to give to the world was a little glimmer of metaphorical light to make bearable the inexorable approach of endless night, then all is despair. No! Neither Jesus' life nor his death nor his resurrection is mere metaphor. These truths of our faith are as literal as they come, something for us to live by and die by. We should never confuse the limitations of our metaphorical language about God with the enduring, unchangeable, and relentlessly loving reality that is God, and to which all our imperfect words so feebly point. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com and don't forget you are loved.